And, you know, it says without a vision, the people perish. And that literally means they just cast off restraint. If you have no real meaning to your life, you tend to go carnal. Okay? And you cast off restraint. But when you have a vision, particularly from God, um, then you discipline your life. You, you You bring things together, whatever is necessary, in order to reach that vision. I'm going to tell you, purpose and vision saved my life. Because I was meaning, had a meaningless life until I met the most meaningful one. And the most meaningful one, capital O, gave me a purpose and gave me a vision for my life. And it's what made me tick all these years from 18 on. So I started preaching as a teenager. And I decided I'd keep doing it. So for 20 years now, I've been doing it. Making sure you're there. I feel that way. I cycled today in that freezing cold. I did. I went out there and did it. And um, the only thing that froze was my face because that's what I didn't have protection for. So when I got into my car, I couldn't smile. I was just frozen. But um, it was good. So let's pray tonight. And then we're going to look at the vision of the house because you're here for a reason. You're not just here to fill a chair. You're here for a reason, okay? So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for vision. Can we lift our hands to the vision giver? And I want us just to pray together that he will give us vision tonight, vision, fresh vision for the new year and vision really for life. Lord, we thank you that you gave us a purpose, a meaning, that we are not just some happenstance thing that evolved out of a cold, apathetic, evolutionary process. But Lord, you made us, you created us, you wired us for a reason, for a purpose on earth. And we pray for vision. I want you to just pray, Lord, give me vision. Give me true Holy Ghost vision tonight. Give me vision tonight, Lord. Give me vision for the new year. Speak to my heart. Put a divine spark of vision in my heart. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, Lord, open your word to us, I pray. And thank you, Lord, for kindling the fire from the word of God tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, you're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. Tell somebody, you're here for a reason. Amen. All right. Now, let me tell you real quick. Now, I'm going to be here Sunday, but I'm not speaking. Uh, Dr. Lawrence Kennedy is going to be here. He is a very uh, prophetic man. And I wanted somebody to come and um, confirm what I shared with you last Sunday. Uh, He's going to kind of do a part two of vision for the new year. And he's a very entertaining speaker, very lovable, likable guy. I've known him for a long, long time. And he's been through a lot. He's going to talk out out of that testimony. He's had a major stroke and God healed him. I mean, he's, he, he was totally paralyzed, and God healed him. Um, a lot of things he's going to talk to you about and testify about, and it's going to bless you. So don't you dare stay home because I'm not speaking. I appreciate your love for me, but it's going to bum me out. There's no Cowboys game at noon. None of that. So get up and come. Now, let me ask one more question. You know that we're knocking around three services. 
And so let me ask you, would you be more inclined? Here's the, our possible times. I'm just getting a reading and believe me, I pay attention to what you say. I do. But if we have, here's the choice, 9, 10, 45, 12, 30, or 9, 10, 30, 12. Now, how many of you might be inclined to do the 12, 30? Two. All right. How many of you might be inclined to do 12? How many of you don't want to do anything? Well, I need to preach vision tonight. <laughs> now, how many of you uh, would probably end up coming? If we did 9, 10, 30, 12, how many of you would, would probably come 9? Okay, how many of you would probably do 10, 30? Most of you. So I would come out to 10 people at noon. <laughs> this ain't going to work. I'm going to have to, I, I, I may have to ask you to pray about just, just coming at 12 to help us. no. But wouldn't it, let me, let me ask this question. I hope this isn't being recorded. That's a lot of editing. But um, how many of you can say, or if you do either 12 or 12.30, for me, 12 is more doable than 12.30. How many of you can say that? Okay, that's, that's kind of what I thought. How many of you, I'm done. I think I've got it. Huh? Now, I know Saturday, I know you're always going Saturday night. You know why we don't do Saturday night? This right here. Because when we did Saturday night, it was, it was, it was, it, it was certainly fine. We had three to 400 people coming out. But, but I never had a break, ever, because I would study for Wednesday night. And then the very next day, I had to start getting ready for Saturday night. And so after two years, uh, I was out of breath. Now, if we didn't do a strong Wednesday night, I'd go to Saturday night next week. Now, see what I mean? How many of you would not like it if I let Wednesday night go? Well, of course not. We'd lose half our church. So there you go. So that's the dilemma that we're in. The only other possibility is a satellite church somewhere. Well, let me say, I'll say this. Watch this ring a bell. I've really been thinking about a satellite church west in West Fort Worth. How many of you would help us fill that if we went West? Okay, see, well, I'm learning a lot already. This is very educational tonight. (laughs) But anyway, until we do a satellite or, you know, whether or not we do, we are looking at three. And we were, if we pull the trigger, it'll be around Easter. And we'll stay in three once Easter has come and gone. So that, that's what we're looking at. All right. See, I'm, I'm talking vision, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, let's look here at Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And let me read to you what uh, God told the prophet Habakkuk. And um, what Habakkuk had... Now, Habakkuk was really, really grieved about the prosperity of the wicked. And he has sought God about why are the wicked prospering and why, you know, all of these different things. Uh, It was eating on him. It was bothering him. So in chapter 2, verse 1, he is kind of telling God his resolve. So here, let me read it. 
Habakkuk 2, 1 to 3. There it is up there for you. He said, okay, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So he was expecting for God to correct him for his attitude. How many of you have ever felt like, I'm cruising for a bruising with God? He's going to correct me, all right? And, And when God corrects you, you don't have to wonder whether or not it happened. It happened. Now, then look in verse 2. The Lord answers the prophet Habakkuk. And look what God says to him. Let's read it together. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Keep reading with me. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Let's read that last one again. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Now, that's a great word. And and I want to take what God said to him and pick it apart here at the beginning. And then I want to share with you the vision of our house, why you're here, why God put you here. Because God didn't just put you here to sit, soak, and sour. Amen? He didn't didn't put you here just to sit in a chair and and, and get blessed. He, He put us here for a corporate purpose. And so let me just go over this. Here the prophet Habakkuk is waiting on God for a word of direction, a word of correction, and a word of instruction. He's waiting on God. And finally, God speaks. And what he tells the prophet reveals for you and me tonight what a real vision from God looks like and how we should respond to it. Now, he told the prophet first to write the vision down. Now, why would he tell him to do that? Here's why. He wanted Habakkuk to be able to return to it over and over and over and read it and be refreshed on it and remember what God has said. You know, I wrote books and and I write a lot. And the reason I write is because paper never forgets. Paper never forgets. Cassette tapes will finally give up the ghost on you. All right. Same with CDs. Uh, But, but paper, books, pamphlets, booklets, writing never forgets. And so the idea, God said, Habakkuk, I want you to write this down. I don't want you to ever forget it. I want you to remember what I've said. And that's why I believe that you and I ought to, at least from time to time, journal. You ought to write down the things that God quickens to you, the things that he says to you that ring a bell, that light your fire, that are words of of direction, words of instruction, words of of vision. I mean, my Bible is my journal. I have notes all over it. It is so noted up in some pages, I can't find the text. (laughs) And I've had to go in with whiteout and get rid of some of it so I can (laughs) read the Bible that's there. But when I read my Bible, I take notes. I write things down. And if something jumps out at me and grabs me by the throat, which the Word of God is want to do, I write it down. And I date it. I say, did it come to me in 2016, 15, 14, now 17? And, and, and I date it so that I can remember what year and what month God said it to me. Because a couple of years later, I'll go look at it and I'll remember, oh, that's what God quickened to me on that day of that month of that year. And I don't forget it. That's what he's doing. Now, the second thing we see about a vision from God 
is it's plain. Everybody say plain. In other words, it's understandable. It's not veiled in mystery. It's not hard to comprehend, but it's plainly laid out for all to see. You know, folks, God is not a confusing God. When he speaks, uh, it, it's, it's very understandable. And so he said, I want you to, to, to make it plain. Make it plain. So we need to understand that, that God told Habakkuk to write it down so that he wouldn't forget it and so that it would be very plain. When he went back to read it again and again, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Now next, we're given the reason for a plainly laid out vision. He says, that he may run who reads it. That he may run who reads it. Now I believe until you have a vision from God, you ought to wait on him. And then when he speaks, then run. We had an old saying, we used to say, if you don't know, don't go. If you don't know, don't go. If you don't know which direction to go in your life, financially, relationally, in any one of a number of different areas, if you don't know which direction to go, wait on God because if you don't know, you shouldn't go. You'll do something presumptuous. So wait on God. But once he speaks, he's plain about it. He's clear about it. And then he says, then you run. You run. The idea is that the plainly laid out vision empowers the person who reads it to obey the vision with full understanding of what they're to do and what their goals should be. Now, I'm running into 2017. But you know why I'm running? Because I've got a vision. If I didn't have a word from God, I, I wouldn't be running. I'd be getting still and saying, God, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking to me? Now, do, do all of you know and believe that God has something to say to you? Do you believe that? He has something to say to you. And, and, and have you learned maybe in the school of hard knocks, how important it is to wait and listen to what he has to say to you about you. In other words, have you noticed that he cares even about the little things as well as the big things today? For, for the hundredth time, I lost my sunglasses. I lose those things. If my head wasn't screwed on, I'd leave it at home and I'd be headless talking to you right now. I, I, I lost them for, for the hundredth time. And I, and I had to say for the hundredth time, God, where are they? And immediately it came to me. And, and you say, well, does God care about your sunglasses, Pastor? Yes, he does. You better know he does. He cares about my salvation and he cares about where my sunglasses are. He's a personal God. He doesn't take time to tell you where your sunglasses are. Oh, yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. I lose things all the time. How about you? Any of you in the same? And, and he tells me, he helps me find what I lose, you know? So he cares. So he cares about the minutia of our life. He cares about the smallest things. He cares about who you're running with. He cares about who you're hooked up with. He cares about who you're talking to or not talking. He cares about where you go to church. He cares about... Um, all kinds of everything that has to do with you. If the sparrow falling to the ground is seen and known by God, then he knows all about you. And he wants to tell you what his will is for you. So, plainly laid out vision is the way that God gives it to us. 
He says, this is, this is where I want you to go. Now, thank God for the Bible, because that's where you get most of the vision for your life. God speaks through his word. And that's what we're going to see tonight. So he lays it out plainly so that we can obey the vision and run towards the goal that his vision gives to us. For instance, Jesus laid out a vision for reaching the whole world with the gospel. He said, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That couldn't be more plain. He plainly laid out the words, and those words have been the catalyst for millions of people through the ages to go forth with a vision for reaching the world with the good news. So tonight, I want to lay out as plainly as I know the vision for Turning Point Church. And I get all of it from the Word of God. And you ought to feel good about that. I, I didn't get it from eating too much pizza last night and I had a dream. I, I'm getting it from the Word of God, all right? And it's, it's, the, it's the Word that He quickened to me. So here's the vision, what the purpose is for Turning Point Church, why He planted us here so that we can understand it and so that together we can run into 2017 and do what he's shown us to do. Now, our vision is wrapped up in three words, and you can use an acronym to remember them. It's an acronym you know well. I want you to say with me, I-O-U. Now, that's the acronym, and they are I-in-reach, O-outreach, U-upreach. So if somebody says to you, what, what is the vision for TPC to say I-O-U? That's what it is. It's in-reach, it's outreach, and it's upreach. Now, I want to talk to you about these three because here's how I view church, and I view church this way because it's what the Bible shows me church is supposed to be. I believe we're all in this together. I don't believe this is a one-man show. Let me just assure you, this is not a one-man show. I could never do what I do without all kinds of people who are around me helping me, um, carrying the vision with me. And I lean on them and I depend on them. But beyond my staff and all the volunteers we have, God led you here, not just because you like to hear me preach or because you like the worship or you like the location. He led you here to be part of a vision. And, and if you had not, if your spirit had not resonated with what you felt here and what you witnessed to here, you wouldn't be sitting here. And what did you witness to? You witnessed to and resonated with the vision of this house. That's why you're here, because it, it, it witnesses to you, okay? Now, let's talk about the IOU, inReach. What do we mean when we say inReach? Inreach refers to building Christ in every person. It's the issue of spiritual maturity. It is bringing forth the fruit of the spirit. It is personal, spiritual growth. How many of you can say, I, I really can see that I have grown from this time last year. I've grown spiritually. Can you say that? If you can't say that, then I'm going to pray for you because you should be able to say that, that you've grown spiritually. Now, God first, and that's why we put it first, God is, is very concerned with your interior life. He is very concerned with what goes on in the inside of you. Are you bearing spiritual fruit? Are you walking with him? 
Are you getting to be more and more like him? Are you getting more mature? Or are you staying the same or even digressing? God cares about our interior life. So let me read some verses to you. Some great verses on this are Galatians 4.19. Listen to Paul. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until, read the last part with me, Christ is formed in you. Now here's Paul. He's saying, I'm like a woman in labor. And if you've ever seen a woman in labor, I have. If you've ever seen a woman in labor, it is terrible. I mean, you thank God a thousand times you're a man if you're standing there as a male and you're watching a woman in labor. It is terrible. It is rough stuff. It's brutal. I mean, how many times? I mean, I did this. I don't usually do this, but I did. Thank God I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm a man. Because I, I would see this pain, this agony, this labor. Now, Paul uses that word for childbirth. He says, I'm, I'm laboring. I am in spiritual labor. I am, I, I am pushing. I am hurting. I am straining in prayer and in effort until Christ is formed in you. Now, if Paul was feeling that, where do you think that came from? It came from Jesus. He was carrying the burden of Jesus for those people. And, and of course, it stretches across the centuries and across time right to us today. If Paul was here today, he'd look right at us and say, I'm laboring. I'm straining, I'm pushing until Jesus is formed in you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, Jesus formed in you. That's pretty strong language. So that's the interior life. That's inreach. Paul was all about inreach, all right? Now, here's another great one, and this one has to do with me, why I'm here, and why you're here with me. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, verse 11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Now, listen to why God gave these ministers to the church, verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do what? Do his work. And do what? Build up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 13, he says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be, say the magic word, mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard. The King James says stature. It means image or likeness of Christ. Now, that is such a mouthful. That's Paul. He would write one sentence and it would go a whole paragraph. I mean, that's the way he always, he started and he couldn't stop. Holy Ghost got a hold of him. He started and he couldn't stop. Whole paragraphs, one sentence. But now, he's telling us something here. He's giving us a vision for the local church. It's in reach. It's in reach. It's Christ being formed in you. He said, the reason God gave me an apostle, I'm an apostle to you, said Paul. There's prophets, evangelists, but then there's a pastor, teacher, and that's me. Now, why did he put me here and you here with me? Because I'm called to convince you that there is a calling on your life. That you would end up doing 
the work of the Lord. And that we would all together grow into maturity, maturity. You know, have you ever known somebody who was 80 years old chronologically, but 13 mentally? They never grew up. But then you can get around some people, they're 15 chronologically, but they're 40 mentally. Maturity is an inside job. Maturity is something that every believer is to long for and strive for and, and want to experience. Grow up. That's the call of God. That's the purpose of God for every believer. We're never to stay crying, whining, diaper-wetting babies. We have no problem seeing a, a little baby wetting their diaper, but we have a real issue if we see an adult wetting their diaper. Well, they shouldn't even be in a diaper. If they're in a diaper, we have an issue with it. You see what I'm saying? There comes a time when you got to grow up. Amen. Now, look what he says in verse 14. Then, when you've gotten mature, we will no longer be immature like children. And here's what children do. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. We will be discerning. We will be mature. We will know the Bible well enough that when we hear the wrong thing, we'll know it's the wrong thing because we know the Bible and we have grown up in the Lord and now we're mature. God is looking for this church to grow up more and more every week, every month, every year, starting with me, all of us together, we're growing up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. And no matter how old you are chronologically, some people grow, I'm telling you, spiritually at warp speed. Other people are like a tortoise. Da -da, da -da. They grow a wee little bit every 10 years or so. That's why Jesus says some bear 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Okay? It's the calling of pastors and teachers, and thus the calling for every local church to bring the body of Christ out of immaturity and into maturity, out of instability, and into stability. What is stability? It's the ability to stay. That's the best definition of stability I know. Stability is the ability to stay, to stay in him, to stay in church, to stay in prayer, to stay in the things of God. That's stability. This is in reach. So we're all about inreach. Now, let me give you one more great inreach passage because here's Jesus himself. And listen to what he says. I'm the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't what, everybody? Doesn't produce fruit. If God looks down at, at, at someone's life and says, they haven't borne any fruit, no fruit at all, then the father steps in because you know why? It's not normal. Everybody who's in Christ should be bearing fruit and growing up. Okay? Now, he says, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. Verse 3, you've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit of itself if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you daily, I like to put daily in there, Daily remain in me. I tell you, I've gotten feedback already from so many people going through the Bible together. Now we're going through the Bible together in a year. How many of you have been doing it? 
How many of you have been stumbling over all those names and those genealogies? Don't, don't let that bog you down, but let me just move on now. Um, why are we going through the Bible in a year? Because when you get into the Word of God first thing in the morning and then you pray, you have plugged yourself into the vine. And what, what fruit do you bring forth if you're plugged into the vine who is Jesus? Well, you can only bring, no branch can bring forth anything other than what the trunk or the vine brings forth that it's plugged into. So if you're abiding every day in Jesus, you can't help. You don't have to try to bring forth fruit. If you abide in him, you will bring forth fruit. And, of course, going through the Bible is uh, the best way I know, okay? Look what Jesus said in verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will. Everybody say will. Will. That's a guarantee. You will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing when it comes to spiritual growth. That's what he means. These words of Jesus are all about inreach, the interior life. We find Jesus fully focused on what is happening in the interior life of his followers, whether or not we're bearing inward spiritual fruit. He said, you haven't chosen me, but I've chosen you, that you would go and bring forth fruit. So the first part of the vision that God has given to Turning Point is in reach, building Christ in every person. Now, just watch this. If you looked at all of our classes, almost all of our classes, and in all of our services are geared toward building Christ in every person in this church. Amen. I have no greater joy as a pastor than to see the congregation Growing in him, bringing forth fruit, reaching others for Christ, getting out there and making a difference, walking in love, walking in forgiveness, not being petty, not holding grudges, not giving people the evil eye across the congregation that you're mad at. None of that. But we're starting to grow up. Everybody say grow up. So God's call to us is to grow up. That's So first, in reach. Now, second, the plain vision, plainly written out vision of turning point is outreach. Outreach is reaching every person with Christ. In reach is building Christ in every person. Outreach is reaching every person with Christ. Let me tell you the truth about local churches. Any healthy church should be reaching the lost with the gospel. I'm going to say that again. Any healthy church should be reaching the lost with the gospel. A church is not just so that we, it's it's not a bless me club. A church is not like a spiritual country club. A church is supposed to be growing into maturity and at the same time reaching out and bringing forth spiritual babies all the time, all the time. Spiritual babies should be being born on a regular basis in a healthy fellowship. Do you believe that? We're not to be introverted. We're not to be pulled in. We're not to be gazing at our navels. It's not to be all about us getting our blessing. It's to be growing up and then reaching out. Let me show you some verses on this. When the early church exploded, it not only experienced great inreach, man, they grew by leaps and bounds, 
but they also had dynamic outreach. Listen to this. Here's a description of the early embryonic baby New Testament church right after the day of Pentecost, which was the birthday of the church. And by the way, I'm starting Acts next week. So there you go. I just thought of that. Quoting Acts. Boy, it's going to be good too. I've already gotten two chapters done. I'm ready to roll. Now look at Acts 2.46. Here's a description of what church ought to be. They worship together at the temple. How often? Every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill. I like the King James better with favor. They had the favor of all the people. That means the the secular culture. They had favor with the secular culture. And look what, I want you to read this last part with me. Are you ready? And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So you had this incredible inreach, growing by leaps and bounds. But what did they do? They were winning people to Jesus every day, every day. You know, I'm very thankful, Tyler already mentioned it, for the many souls that have come to Christ at Turning Point in the last few weeks. Uh, 50 to 60, somewhere in there, in like four to five weeks. 50 to 60 people. Now, that's wonderful. And And I wish you could see what I see down here. They're looking at me like, I can't believe I'm in an altar. I had no plan on being in an altar today. I was just going to sit way back in the back and see what I thought about this place or somebody brought me, but something has drawn me down here and they're weeping and they're crying and they're giving their hearts to Christ. And we've had amazing testimonies, powerful testimonies of what Jesus is doing. Okay. Now, why do I go for souls? Why do I do that? Because some don't. Why do I do it? Because... We're supposed to be winning people to Christ, having babies. And I I learned long ago as a preacher, never assume everybody in that congregation is saved. Don't ever assume it because clearly we see week by week they're not. They get here by various and sundry means and ways. It's amazing how they get here sometimes. Sometimes they just walk in off the street, walk in. Or they're at the hotel over here and they walk in. Or they're truckers over there and they see the cross and they walk in. And Jesus gets them. It's dangerous to walk in here lost. (laughs) Okay? Now, so I'm very thankful that we're seeing this on Sunday. But here's my dream. I look forward to the day and I believe that day is coming. Let me reiterate, I believe that day is coming. When the Lord is going to add daily to our fellowship those who are being saved by our folks who are out there witnessing in the highways and the byways. We've got people that are going into, where's Tyler tonight? He's upstairs. Well, I was going to brag on him. I'll brag on him anyway. Him and his, his clan, his, we call them homeboys. His, all right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm searching here. All right. But they're going into Walmart. They're grabbing people in Walmart and talking to them about Jesus and leading them to Jesus. Almost every week they introduce somebody to me here that was one to Christ during the week in some just regular place. They go in and share Jesus and bring them to church. Now it's going to get to the place where that's happening. I'm going to say it by faith. It's going to get to the place that's happening every day. 
And we're going to be baptizing people that weren't saved in here. They were saved out there and brought here. Amen. So what I want to see, what God wants to see clearly is a church that is not only growing within, but it's reaching people without. The early church not only focused on inward spiritual growth, but their eye was ever and always turned outward to a lost and dying world with dynamic outreach. Now, let me give you a little something you may not have known. When Paul wrote his second letter, his last letter to Timothy, his son in the faith, listen to this. This is another version. I think it's the NLT, but listen to the way it puts it. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now we read that and what we don't realize a lot of us is that Timothy was a pastor of a local church. And yet Paul, his father in the face says, now Timothy, yeah, you're a pastor, but I want you doing the work of an evangelist as well. It's not all about just blessing the body of it, but I want you to get out there and win people to Jesus. Do the work of an evangelist. People will come up to me and they'll say, you know, really, you're just an evangelist in a pastor's role. And I say, no, that's not true. I'm a pastor with an evangelistic streak. But you know what gave me the evangelistic streak? The word of God. Because as a pastor, I'm told, I'm commanded, do the work of an evangelist. That means every local church is supposed to be evangelistically geared. This was the issue with Timothy's fear deal where he said, Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. What was his fear problem? He was intimidated. He had had fallen under a spirit of intimidation of going out into society and preaching the gospel. That was his problem. He was intimidated when it came to preaching the gospel. That was the fear issue. So Paul said, essentially, Timothy, shake it off. God didn't give you that fear but power, love, and a sound mind. Now, you get out there, son, and you preach the gospel. And I want to say to you folks, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. That culture out there, is you're not to be afraid of it. I'm finding that more people want to know about Jesus than people that don't. When I go out there and I, I immediately tell them I'm a pastor, I'm on the radio or whatever, and I, and I bring the conversation to the things of God, 90% of the time, I'm finding them open to it, not closed. So don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid of lost people. So Jeff, what if they ask me a hard question? The Bible said God will give you an answer without you having to think about it beforehand. He'll give you an answer. And if you don't know the answer, say, you know, it's been great talking to you. I'm going to go study that and figure it out and get the answer. And I want to meet with you again and I'll give you the answer. And you just be honest about it but you don't have to be intimidated. Don't be afraid of them. One of my favorite local church outreach passages, and I'll, and I'll finish this portion with this, is 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 to 8. Listen to this. Paul says, our gospel came to you, the Thessalonians, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy 
given by the Holy Spirit. Stop there. What was their severe suffering? When they got saved, they came under intense persecution. And along with the intense persecution, they were poor. They had no money. Okay? So they received Christ, and as soon as they did, they started coming under attack. And not only that, no money. Now, verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message, read verse 8 with me, everybody. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known where? Everywhere. Do you see that even when they were saddled with no money, no resources, and great persecution, they still managed to reach much of the known world. They were a local church. I want our church to be known as a soul-winning church, among other things. I want, it, I want it, it, our message to go out. We're, we're reaching the whole country every week, every day of every week with the word of God. I want it to be able to be said of us, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Fort Worth and DFW, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Are y'all here tonight? Does that bless you? Is that what you want? Everybody say with me, it's not about me. It's all about him. So these financially poor Thessalonians, they didn't let limited resources get in the way. So TPC's vision is in reach, building Christ in every person, and outreach, reaching every person with Christ. And I'm believing, for instance, that these younger people um, are going to end up spearheading a major evangelistic move through this church. Can you all receive that? I believe that. And it's already happening. Now, the last one is upreach. Upreach is leading every person into Christ's presence through worship. So we build Christ in every person. We reach every person with Christ. Then we lead every person into the presence of Christ through worship, upreach. Jesus tells us something really important about God in John 4, 23. He says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Now, if there's true worshipers, folks, then there has to be false worshipers, okay? If there's a true kind of worship, then there has to be the opposite. There's false worship, and I've seen false worship. And let me just tell you what I think it is. God is looking for people who worship him first in spirit, in their hearts, from their hearts, not out of religious duty, not by rote, not mechanically, with no heartfelt affection. Have you ever been in a church, and I'm not running churches down, but you know what I'm about to say. Have you ever been in a church where they pulled out the hymnal and somebody said, turn to this number, nothing against hymns, you know I like hymns. But they pull out, they, they say, turn to this hymn, and everybody sings. And it's about as anointed as watching paint dry. <laughs> really, I'd rather watch paint dry 
than being one like that. And, and so what are they doing? They're just singing mechanically. They're singing by rote. They're, they're singing religiously. There, there's nothing from their spirit. He said, God is on the hunt for something. Isn't that an amazing statement that almighty God, the creator of all things is looking for something. Now I'm going to give you a little Bible quiz. The Bible tells us he's searching for two things. Jesus told us he's searching for two things. Here we're told he's searching for true worshipers. What's the second thing? I'm going to tell you to seek and to save that which was lost said he's seeking to save that which is lost. So God's on the hunt for two things. How many of you would just love to give God what he's looking for every time we come together? Right? So when people are saved, well, he got what he was looking for. And when we come together, he's looking for people who will worship him out of their true inner being. From a heart touched by his spirit and a heart that holds true affection for him. It's one thing to sing about him. It's something else to sing to him, to him. I learned early on, you sing to the Lord. Real worship breaks forth when you look up and you forget about everything around you and you focus on Jesus and you get lost in Jesus and you sing to Jesus and you have a love session with Jesus. One commentator writes this. He said, we should worship adoring his majesty revering his power, humbled before his purity, confiding in his mercy, praising him for his benefits, loving him for his unspeakable love to us, being subject to his sway, obedient to his will, resigned under his dispensations, devoted to his glory, aspiring after a closer union with him and a more full conformity to him. Man, that's worship. That's worship. And there's some people in our congregation, I'm just waiting. Their hands, they come, they, they start here this way. Everybody else is, you know, lifting. Their, and I'm not saying you have to lift your hands. I'm saying you get to. Because you'll find it's like antenna. Or it really, even better, it's like a lightning rod. You get those hands up, your pride goes down. And, I, and I've seen, especially guys, you know, they come in here and they go, I, I don't do this. I'm not a lift my hand kind of guy. Well, you just haven't been touched the way you're about to be touched. And, and they, then they go half-mast, and they look around to see if anybody's noticed that they have dared to go half. They got cowboy boots on. They got the jeans on. To them, they're thinking it's not a dude thing to do to, to raise your hands to God. That's for the women. But I watch them. Finally, up they go, and a big smile comes across their face, and they realize the Bible says lifting holy hands unto the Lord. It's dangerous to lift your hands to God because he's going to touch you like you haven't been touched. It took me a few months. I was half-masked for months. I really was. What's going to happen to me if I go half-masked? I just wondered if I was going to fall down, if I was going to lose control of myself. I just didn't know what was going to happen. But when I finally went all the way up, boy, I got liberated. God began moving on. I'm not saying, you know, you're not going to be blessed until your hands get up in the air unto the Lord. I'm just saying... How come you can't get them up to the Lord? Because I'm religious. I'm here to sing about God. <laughs> right? <clears throat> well, God is looking for somebody who will worship him 
from the heart, demonstratively from the heart. Okay, I'm just having fun with you. If you don't want to lift your hands, you don't have to. I'm not going to come walking up to you and say, get those hands up. I'm never going to do it. But you ought to try it sometime. If you need to warm up at home, warm up at home. Kick everybody out of the living room. Get your hands up and see what happens to you. Also, he says in truth, those who will worship him in spirit with a true heartfelt affection and in truth. And that means meaning by way of the truth, his son, Jesus Christ. True worship is not the kind Cain offered. Cain said, I'm going to do it my way. And he brought God a vegetable offering. And God didn't accept his offering. Abel brought a blood offering. And it says God accepted Abel's offering. Why? Because it spoke of redemption. There's no remission of sins without the blood. So Abel's was received. Cain's was rejected. We do that with, we do that with worship. We say, well, I'm just going to go to God through Buddha, or I'm going to go through Krishna, or I'm going to go hug a tree, or I'm just going to be a, just go to him myself. I, I'm not going to approach God through Christ. I'm just don't, I don't believe in that. Well, your, your worship is not true worship because true worship is ignited by Christ. It's ignited by coming in truth, in spirit and in truth. We worship God with sincere hearts touched by his spirit and in the truth of Jesus Christ, who is the designated way into his presence. Now study our church, having said all this now and shared our vision, study our church. And here's what you'll see. Everything we do, every dollar we spend, every class we launch, every step we take will be in keeping with the vision of the house, I-O-U. We do nothing outside of those three things. And we invite all of you to step in and help us fulfill the vision. Let's stand together and let me just read this. I want you to read it with me, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, because you're in here. Are you ready? Read it with me. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers Their responsibility, now stop here for just a minute. Instead of saying equip God's people, say it's to equip me. It's to equip me to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. That's our vision. That's why we're here. And that's why you're here. Can we lift up holy hands to the Lord? And let's just thank him. Lord, we thank you for IOU. We thank you for a vision that comes from your word. Thank you for inreach, outreach, and upreach. Always happening in this body. Always taking place in this fellowship. Thank you for continual spiritual growth. Thank you for continual salvation of souls. Thank you for continual worship of God with true heart affection. In Jesus' name.